from a hotel room in Orlando, Florida. I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. It's been 20 years. We have a breaking news story to tell you about. Apparently, a plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center here in New York City. It happened just a few moments ago, apparently. We have very little information available. It appears that the, there is more and more fire and smoke enveloping the very top of the building. And as fire crews are descending on this area, it, it, it does not appear that there's any kind of a, an effort up there yet. Now remember, oh my God. Oh my God. That looks like a second plane. Has just I did not see a plane go in. That, that just exploded. We I, just saw another plane coming in from the side. You did. I did that was out of absolute Yes, and that's you. the second explosion. You could see the plane come in just from the right-hand side of the screen. So this looks like it is some sort of a concerted effort to attack the World Trade Center that is underway in downtown New York. Hold on just a moment. We've got an explosion inside. The building's exploding right now. you got people running up the street. Okay. I'll tell you what's going on. Okay. Just uh, put put Winston on pause there for just a moment. Okay, while the whole building just exploded for more. The whole top part. Okay. The building's still intact. People are running up the streets. We're looking at live pictures of the Pentagon where there is billowing smoke. Mick, Jim Miklaszewski just reported that he heard a, an explosion. We are hearing again unconfirmed reports that this was the result of a plane crashing in the area as well. United Airlines confirms that the United Flight 175 from Boston to Los Angeles is down as well. No details yet. It's confirmed that Flight 93, we believe from Newark to San Francisco, is down. No details yet. That's the one that we think went down in the Pittsburgh area. I wish that we could be more specific. Uh, the information is, as you might expect, pretty uh, chaotic, uh, but there have been at least four airliners that have been hijacked today. 20 years. It's still difficult to listen to and relive this all over again. These were some of the very first news reports as each event happened on September 11th, 2001. Those clips from NBC, CNN, ABC, local news stations were all trying to tell the same story. Calamity, confusion, terror, and desperation for information. Our way of life changed forever because of that day. The thing that still amazes me, it all happened in a two-hour window. 20 years ago. Amazing. But in all the confusion, heartache, and anger, of course, the stories of incredible bravery, kindness, charity, and patriotism abound. First responders ran toward the Twin Towers to save others, even though it cost many of them 
their lives. Of course, Todd Beamer said, let's roll. And the brave men and women on Flight 93 took things into their own hands, potentially saving many more lives. And of course, we remember this story. Defense Secretary Rumsfeld, after the attack on the Pentagon, went immediately to the gash that you see behind me here when the very first destruction was, uh, was detected uh, and helped pull some people out of the rubble. He is now in what is called the National Military Command Center in the Pentagon, and he intends to stay there indefinitely. We wanted to take a moment to pause in our own way to remember 9-11. If you can, right where you're at, just maybe close your eyes, bow your head, and pause with us for a moment of silence. Today, we're going to talk with Steve Bucci. He's a visiting fellow here at the Heritage Foundation, but he was also a military assistant to Donald Rumsfeld in the Pentagon when 9-11 happened. On this episode, he relives his incredible experience being in the Pentagon when the plane hit and watching Secretary Rumsfeld run into the Pentagon to save injured people. He also puts the past 20 years since 9-11 in perspective and places it in context with what's currently happening today. Well, Dr. Bucci, anyone old enough has just vivid memories as to where they were on 9-11. You know, many people were wandering the hallways at school and saw a crowd of people around a TV like me. Or, you know, people were getting their second cup of coffee at work when they saw and heard what was going on. But, you know, that was, again, it's 20 years ago, you know, you had a much different story than most people. Why don't, why don't you just just broadly just tell us about that? Well, uh, I had been stationed in Bosnia-Herzegovina the prior year and a half uh, and then was selected to be the military assistant to Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> I reported for duty at the Pentagon on July 1st, 2001. Wow. Uh, and it was pretty busy because, you know, the secretary was trying to transform the Pentagon and, and, uh, he didn't have a full staff yet. It was still early in the Bush administration. Uh, so we were working initially seven days a week. Then we finally got down to, you know, six days and we had just gone down. We had had our first full weekend off, uh, at towards the end of, August. And then the events of 9-11 occurred. Yeah. Uh, I had come into work at five in the morning, which is when I got there to do all my preparatory stuff for the secretary. Hmm. I had my wife with me on that day because she was coming in. She's a, a registered nurse practitioner, and she was going to volunteer to be a Red Cross nurse at the clinic that took care of the secretary and all the other big people in, in the building. Uh, so she was with me. First time she'd ever been in the Pentagon. <laughs> uh, I t 
turned her over to the doctor for the her interview period, uh, and then went off, continued doing my job. Uh, we had a congressional breakfast that morning. A bunch of, of representatives had come to the Pentagon to to have a meal with the secretary and chat about issues. And while they were all in the the dining room eating on the TV out in our lobby, like most you know big organizational front office lobbies, there's a TV on. Right. And we saw the first plane hit. And all of us thought, oh, my gosh, what a tragedy. What could it have been? Did the pilot have a heart attack? You know, what what happened? And then we saw the replay. Except then we realized it wasn't a replay. It was the second plane hitting the second tower. Wow. And now we looked at each other and went, oh, crap. This is not an accident. This is an attack. Hmm. Uh, I was almost immediately sent by the three-star admiral who was the senior military assistant to Secretary Rumsfeld into a secure area with several senior people, senior to me anyway, uh, to try and start the process of figuring out what the heck was going on, who did this, you know, what do we need to do, all those questions that you hope the Pentagon would immediately jump. I was, to. I was just going to say, is this something where it was like, oh, my gosh, we've been getting briefings on this and wow, it came to pass kind of a thing. Or was it just kind of a mad dash? No, it was a mad dash. Yeah. OK. This was not something anybody had anticipated. Hmm. I mean, we found out later the intel community, you know, and the FBI had little snippets, but nobody had put it all together. Yeah. Well, sorry for interrupting that story because I know that you're going to continue with it, but I just wanted to get that context because, you know, Pentagon's a pretty informed place, you know, uh, pretty pretty high level. Yeah. You know, we try and have the best intel we can get, but sometimes the bad guys are sneaky enough to, to do it. And yeah. to tell you the truth, from a standpoint of a special operator, because I was an Army Green Beret, their operation was pretty darn good. Hmm. I mean, not good in the moral sense, but good in the professional sense in that what they pulled off was uh, impressive in their ability to bring a lot of damage and destruction to our country. So you could understand why the terrorists around the world really thought a lot of al-Qaeda after they did this. So you're scrambling around, you're, you're gathering intel, you're, you're getting on the same page. The second building was hit, you were, you were moved. Uh, so pick up from there. Uh, so we're inside this room, several rings. You know, the Pentagon is a series of concentric rings. Uh, and also, just remember, the Pentagon is the largest non-high-rise office building in the world. Yeah, Its five sides are each you know, way more than a football field long. It's massive. Uh, there's <laughs> there's four, four floors above ground and at least two to three below ground. They always talk about there's more, but I never found those other ones down further. Uh, and so it's a pretty darn big building. So we're in there and we're talking and suddenly we feel this boom and the whole building shudders and felt like it shifted. And we all looked at one another like, what the heck was that? So I was the junior guy in the room. I jump up, run out to find out what had happened. Mm -hmm. And I got there 
back to the office and I asked the, the NCOs who worked there, so, you know, what, what was that noise or whatever that was? And they said, oh, sir, the, a plane just hit our building. <sighs> and at that point, I obviously should have run back into that little room and informed those guys of that. But the thought struck me. I looked around and I said, where's the boss? Oh, my gosh. And they said, he's out at the crash site. He went out there with a couple of security guys because he wanted to see what was going on. And, and, and I'm going, what? You don't let the boss go to the dangerous place. You're supposed to get him away from the dangerous place. So I grabbed the senior NCO and we ran out to try and find Secretary Rumsfeld. Okay, so let me just stop you there. I'm just so interested in hearing about Secretary Rumsfeld's role in this. But so the plane hits, I think, the southwest side of the Pentagon. Is that correct? Correct. Southwest side. What what part of the Pentagon were you in? I'm just I'm, I'm uh, actually we, on Google Maps right now looking at it, and I want I'm just want I want to get a visual here. We were on the river side. Okay. That's where all the you know it's got the nicest view. Okay. So that's where all the the highest ranking folks' offices were. Okay. So we were almost almost as directly across from the, the uh, crash as you can get on a five-sided building. Right. So uh, even on that side, you know, that far away, you still felt, I mean, you still felt it. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. the building, you know, it's, it, Pentagon looks like it's made out of marble or it's really made out of concrete yeah. and, and girders. Hmm. Uh, it was built in 1940 to be a hospital. Okay. So it's got lots of, Big giant hallways and ramps to go up and down. They used to drive jeeps inside the building to get around. Then they figured out that wasn't that healthy. <laughs> internal combustion engines. Now course. they use golf carts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not not great it, for not great for a, a hospital. <laughs> no. So it. Uh, you know. So we had to literally go around the building. Right. To, to get out to the crash site, and there was Secretary Rumsfeld hauling people on stretchers out of the hole. Now he's almost seventy-five years old at this point. Wait, so so let me ask you this: Where was where was Rumsfeld when when the plane hit? He was in his office right there on the river side okay. of the building. Okay, uh, you know, overlooking the Potomac, uh, uh -huh. and so he literally went out of the building and ran around the building with these poor guys wearing body armor following him. Uh, he, he's a pretty fit guy or was, he's passed away now. We right. just had his funeral, yeah. uh, a couple of days ago. Mm. Uh, but he, you know, his first instinct was to go as a friend of mine said, well, sir, where did you expect him to go? He's a warrior. He went yeah. to the sound of the guns and there he is. I mean, this was not a, you know, photo op or anything else. It was just him doing what he knew was right. If it were a photo op, we would have had much better video and photos of it. I mean, we can see, I, I remember seeing some grainy bits of it, of him involved there. But I wanted to ask you, I mean, this this was a pretty intense moment. We knew with, with you know, the, the towers, we, you know, obviously your experience in the Pentagon. Did you go up to him and say, get your butt inside? Did you try and get him away from there? Or, or what, what, what was your interaction there? Or what was your role there? Well, we, we found him, and, and no, I never would tell him, get your butt inside, but we, <laughs> did, we did say, sir, we got to get you inside. We've got to get you in communication with the president and the rest of the uh, authority and, and the government. You know, we've got to come up with this 
I know you want to stay here. You care about these people, but we've got folks there Mm. doing it. We need you to now do your secretary stuff. And he understood that. I mean, this is a second turn as secretary of defense. He got that uh, without any problem. And reluctantly, uh, he moved inside. He's the kind was the kind of leader that cared about his subordinates, you know, and and wanted to be involved in, you know, that very needful moment for those people. But, you know, once we reminded him, you know, of that bigger picture, he, you know, he jumped right back and and we got inside. During the day, uh, there were several people on the staff that tried to convince the secretary that we needed to abandon the Pentagon. Yeah. Because, you know, it was on fire, uh, you know, that there could be another plane. All those things were, were ongoing. And the secretary unequivocally said, not no, but heck no. Right. He said the American people expect the defense of the United States to emanate from this building. Right. And unless you can tell me that there's a plane on the way and that, you know, more of my people are going to die if we stay here, then I'm not leaving. Yeah. And by the end of the day, we realized he was spot on the, the optics of him saying, you know, these guys thought they were going to knock us out. The Pentagon is still open for business. It's still doing its job of coming up with the defense of this nation was completely on point, exactly what we needed to do. Dr. Bucci, I'm curious here. When you think back on 9-11, let's say you're, you know, taking a little stroll along one of the lakes, uh, you know, in Michigan, and you just think back 9-11, what, what is the thing that you pivot to the most? What is the thing that you gravitate toward the most in your mind when you think back on, on 9-11? One, on a personal level, I think back that, thank God, my wife didn't get hurt in the thing. Mm. Uh, And, by the way, she ended up taking care of wounded people the whole day. I didn't see her again until 4.30 in the afternoon uh, because the cell phones didn't work because (laughs) everything was down uh, because of volume issues. And uh, it it was incredible to think that we were both there, Mm. both playing supporting roles right. uh, in in the the response uh, from a, a professional standpoint I I thought it was interesting that you know here is a special forces guy you know Green Beret my image of me going to war was you know in my full military kit my camouflage uniform all my toys and stuff that you take when you go do that sort of thing Instead, I went to war in my polyester dress pants <laughs> and my patent leather parade shoes. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, you realize life doesn't always go the way you plan it yeah. and does not always take the, the obvious route that sometimes you get put in positions uh, that catch you by surprise and you have to be ready to, to pivot and do your job even in very, very unconventional circumstances. Yeah. Uh, and that's what not just me, but everybody there ended up doing. Wow. Uh, the, the one other memory, and, and this is 
my, from my wife, actually. She was outside doing her thing as a nurse. And then at a certain point, still in the morning, uh, they got the word went out of all the people out there, you know, take cover, take cover. There's another plane coming. Everybody scattered, jumping in the, you know, the ditches, the culverts of the sides of the roads. Nobody knew what was going to happen. And then they heard it and they looked up and it wasn't another airliner. It was two American fighter planes. Wow. Uh, that, and she said, as soon as she saw them and realized who they were, she knew they were safe. Hmm. She knew nobody was going to do anything harmful to that building or to them anymore. Well, I mean, it's, uh, fu- it's funny you should, you should say that because, uh, the, the, you know, we, we talk about once it happens, we start the, we start rebuilding, we start the cleanup and part of that. And I remember this was was an effort by the government, by the U.S. to unite around our, you know, our our, our men and women in uniform and trust that that, you know, our safety and our security was the number one priority of the federal government. You know, talk. talk, So so just talk kind of a little bit about the rebuilding, the cleanup after this this all happens. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, it, it, it developed very quickly. The process, you know, I mean, you always think the government moved slowly. In this case, it was almost instantaneous. We started to build, and they had people volunteering to come in and help, hmm. you know, craftsmen and builders, uh, to the point where they were able to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week to rebuild that section of the Pentagon that had been destroyed. Uh, interestingly, that continued uh, until uh, into the, the new year. Uh, and they were working so hard and so well that the management made a decision, you know, the, the supervisors, that they would uh, give everybody Christmas Day off. They would take a rest. Uh, they announced it to the workforce, and the workers all got together and then went back to the supervisors and said, no, we are not taking that day off. We said we were going to work every day until we finish this job. That's what we told those people who attacked us, and we are not going to take a day off until it's done. And they did. They got it done way ahead of schedule. They never took a day off until the job was 100% completed. Uh, and it was a testament to the American worker, the American people. Uh, and, and this was a pretty diverse group. Hmm. I mean, there, there were, you know, you think of construction projects in Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, with green cards working on those jobs. There's, there's a lot of people of every color you know, mm. background, everything you could think of, that's what was there. And they all stood as one in solidarity with the military, with the first responders, and they wanted to send a message to those that attacked us that you thought we were down. Right. We're not. Let me ask you this. I, this is an incredible story. I mean, I, I just, I kind of want to, I kind of want to get together and do a campfire and just, you know, 
continue to ask you questions. I mean, it would just be incredible to hear these stories. I, you know, it's it's amazing the life that you have lived. And I wanted to, you know, with all of that experience and with what's happening right now in Afghanistan as we speak, um, I wanted to just ask you some intentionally broad questions. As you know, these have. You know, we've asked these questions many times through many different situations throughout the last 20 years since we've been in Afghanistan. And we went to Afghanistan because of 9-11. And now, you know, I, I just give me the top of mind when you hear these questions. First one, are we safer now than 20 years ago? Yes, we are. And, and the reason for that is not that the threats are any less. The threats are actually probably bigger than they were then. But we have a much better structure of, you know, identifying those threats, responding to them, deterring them than we ever have before. And, you know, as evidence that for 20 years, no one has done that kind of terrorism event in our country again. Does America have the will to act swiftly as we did after 9-11 still? Uh, that's a tougher question. Uh, I think we would if, if an incident came up, if there was another successful attack, I think we could respond probably more quickly than before. But the, the will part on the part of the American people, that's tougher. We, we're, we've reached a point of greater uh, separation between political sides than uh, we had even then. Uh, but it's, I like to think America could still pull together when faced with that kind of threat. And I think we would, and we'd be able to, uh, to defend this nation effectively. What do we need for better security? Uh, political will at this point. Uh, I think we have the wherewithal, you know, we, our military is, is still under the last administration was building back up some of the things that had been uh, allowed to lay fallow by the, the administration before that one. Uh, and they were starting to make the corrections. Now we're kind of back at this, this tendency to want to cut things uh, when you need to fix them, not cut them. Uh, so I think a little more will to prepare and to act. And I, I have not seen, unfortunately, a lot of evidence of that in this particular administration in either area. And now personally, I'm curious when, um, you know, a week and a half ago, when you saw basically the Taliban take over Afghanistan, what was your I want to know your initial knee jerk reaction to that? Given all of your involvement in, in this and in planning and, you know, 9-11, all that stuff, I, I want to know your initial reaction. Uh, it, it was great concern for the Afghan people. Wow. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, the, the, the threats are, are much wider than just inside Afghanistan. I, there's a chance of, of regional destabilization. There's obviously a chance of increased terrorism around the world that the Taliban can support. But the biggest grief in my spirit was the thought of the, the young people, particularly young women, who for the last 20 years 
have been free to go to school, to get jobs, to improve their lot, to play the kind of role in society they're capable of playing, and that now they're going to be forced back into, you know, I, I mean, they've used Sharia in Afghanistan this whole time, right. but not the, the version of Sharia that the Taliban espoused, and that's going to go back into place, and there's going to be retribution against people that helped us, uh, and it's going to be horrific. Well, Dr. Bucci, I just, as a point of personal privilege, I guess we would call it host privilege here, I just wanted to tell you and thank you for all that you've meant to me um, You know, throughout our time knowing each other, working at the Heritage Foundation. You have been a voice of reason. You've been a, 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 an ear to listen. Um, and that has been so meaningful to me, especially given... Um, the many irons you have in the fire going at all times. So again, just thank you so much for being open and sharing with us today. Thank you for being such an uh, incredible part of, 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 uh, of the Heritage Foundation. And uh, we look forward to keeping in touch with you, Dr. Bucci. It, it was my pleasure to chat about this today, Tim. And I agree. Uh, it's been a, a wonderful pleasure being colleagues. I hope we can continue for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm ready to to share, not because I did anything terribly spectacular. I was just, you know, in these interesting places at interesting times. To, uh, this nation is worth fighting for. It always has been, and it always will be. Uh, and we need to remember that and and be willing, not not to follow mindlessly, but to understand the reason, and then to be willing to stand up for what's right. Dr. Bucci. Again, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Heritage Explains. Drop us an email at managingeditor at heritage.org if you want to communicate with us. If you have some thoughts on the show, we'd love to hear them. Also, you can leave us a comment wherever you listen. We'll respond to you that way as well. Michelle's up next week. We'll see you then. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by John Pop.